Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of our Markets Horizons podcast series. I'm Axel de Bakker, I'm a senior associate in ANO's Capital Market Practice in Brussels, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Maria Green, who's a counsel and a professional support lawyer in our London Capital Markets Group. Now, in an earlier podcast, we talked about the political agreement in relation to the draft EU Green Bond Regulation from a mainstream debt capital markets perspective. In this podcast, Maria and I will discuss the impact of this regulation on securitizations. Maria, before we dig into the impact of the EU Green Bond Regulation on securitizations, maybe very briefly, what do we mean when we talk about green securitizations? Well, there is no statutory definition. For asset backed debt instruments like securitization, there are three possible scenarios. Number one is where the securitized assets are themselves green. For example, it's a portfolio of mortgages for energy efficient properties, or it's auto loans for electric vehicles, or some other type of green asset. The second scenario is where the securitized assets themselves are not green, but the funding received from a securitization by the originator is deployed by that originator for green projects. And the third scenario is essentially a combination of the two, where both the securitized assets and the originator use of proceeds meet green credentials. I think this also demonstrates that there's no real clear market standard nor a label exclusively applicable to green securitizations. And we indeed do see that green securitizations use frameworks that are also used in the broader debt capital market space, such as the ICMA green bond principles. And these rules apply to all types of bonds, so including securitization bonds. And we also see that these principles envisage all three scenarios for securitization that you just described. However, the EU Green Bond Regulation is one of the attempts to regulate this sector more strictly. Can you perhaps elaborate by explaining the background on how securitization provisions in the EU Green Bond Standard evolved? Uh, Yes, of course. So the origins uh, of the new regulation can be found in the European Banking Authority report on the development of sustainable securization. The EBA was required to prepare this report under the EU securization regulation, a different regime, and it was published in March 2022. I must say it was very encouraging for the industry to see that in its report, the EBA was recognizing that securitizations could have a primary role to play in financing sustainable projects. The EBA explored in its report the merits of developing a dedicated framework for green securitization. However, in its findings, the EBA acknowledged that EU sustainable green securitization is at a very early stage of development and that it faces challenges like the lack of sustainable green assets. So in the end, the EBA recommended to use the EU Green Bond Standard as their regulatory framework to create a level playing field across all types of green bond instruments, including securitization. And the EBA advised against developing a separate green securitization framework at this stage. Also, the EBA recommended to shift the focus for securitization and the EU Green Bond Standard from the use of proceeds by the securitization SPV issuer to the use of proceeds by the originator. We now have the political compromise text of the Green Bond Regulation and a much clearer picture as to how the EBA recommendations ended up being reflected in the legislation. And we can say that although the regulation indeed accommodates green securitizations, there are still a lot of questions on how these rules will play out in practice. Our first point is the scope of these new rules. Where have we landed in terms of which securitizations can seek the EU Green Bond Standard designation? Does the label accommodate both true sale and synthetic securitizations? Uh, no. As recommended by the EBA, only true sale securitizations are in scope. 
whether synthetic securizations will be accommodated in due course, we don't really know. Because five years after the new regulation comes into force, the EBA will first prepare a feasibility report and the European Commission will then decide whether to follow up on that EBA report with further legislative proposals on synthetic securizations. So it's a space to watch for now. Okay, let's now talk about the substantive rules. As we just discussed, the green securitization can involve green assets or green of proceeds by the originator or a combination of the two. And the green bonds regulation follows the EBA recommendation that shifts the focus from the issuer to the originator. That is, securitization bonds will only be green if the use of proceeds is applied to green assets or capex, in line with the regime for regular green bonds. However, the regulation clarifies that it is the originator that will need to apply the proceeds and not the issuer. So Maria, it appears that if the EU taxonomy-aligned assets are securitized and it will not be possible to seek the EU GBS designation, if the originator does not meet this use of proceeds requirement. That's correct. If green assets are securitized, but the originator does not use proceeds for taxonomy line purposes, it is not possible to seek a EU green bond standard designation. And I really think that it's a real missed opportunity. It would have been more helpful to future-proof the EU green bond standard drafting so that it works for all three different scenarios that we've just discussed and not just for the originator use of proceeds, which is where we've landed in the compromised text of the new regulation for now. Axel, can you perhaps briefly explain how this originator use of proceeds condition would actually play out in practice? Yes, of course. Essentially, this means that the proceeds must be used by the originator to finance economic activities that are environmentally sustainable, or green if you will, in accordance with the EU taxonomy regulation. And this is the same as for any other green bond regulation, and we discussed this in more detail in our earlier podcast on this regulation. The question is, of course, how this will apply in a securitization context. For example, if we would assume that the originator is a bank or a mortgage lender, this could mean that the originator will use the proceeds to grant mortgage loans that finance buildings that meet the strict energy consumption requirements under the taxonomy regulation. A consumer lender could potentially finance car leases or loans in relation to electric vehicles. Now, of course, translating these principles in practice may not always be straightforward, as the EU Green Bond Regulation was clearly drafted with the regular issuers in mind, and it may not always be easy to translate these requirements to a securitization context. Maria, do you identify other hurdles to the regime? Um, yes, indeed I do, and it concerns the interplay between the EU Green Bond Standard and the EU Securitization Regulation, which is a separate framework and just, let's call it the EU SACRAG um, to keep it short. And the fact that there is a lack of coherence between these two regimes. So as a bottom line, a securization seeking EU Green Bond Standard designation would also need to comply with very burdensome transparency and template-based reporting requirements of the EU SACRAG, which collectively will add to complexities and the cost of the deal. But let's take a step back first and talk in a bit more detail about what needs to be disclosed on the securization under the EU Greenbelt standard. So Axel, how different are disclosure requirements for securization under the new regulation? So as we discussed in our earlier podcast, issuing a green bond requires that the issuer publishes a fact sheet pre-issuance and that after issuance, the issuer publishes allocation reports and eventually impact reports. All these obligations will also apply to securitization bonds, except that it is the originator of a securitization that will need to comply with these reporting obligations, rather than the securitization SPV issuer. 
It also means that it is the originator who is required to take responsibility in the prospectus for disclosure relating to the EU green bonds requirements. So the requirements relating to pre- and post-issuance reporting are broadly similar to the mainstream DAT. So is there any additional disclosure reporting required on securitized assets themselves? This is indeed a crucial point, because as we mentioned, issuing a green securitization bond fully depends on the application of the use of proceeds by the originator, and it does not require that the securitized assets themselves have green credentials. But now, as you can see, this can create some counterintuitive situations. Let's say an originator securitizes a portfolio of SME loans that did not take into account any ESG criteria. So we're talking about a portfolio of brown assets potentially. However, as long as the originator employs the proceeds of the securitization to finance green economic activities, the securitization bond will still be green bonds. And I think you can imagine that certain investors will not be happy about this type of situation. Uh, yes, I can certainly see that. And does the green bond regulation try to address this risk in any way? Are there any safeguards with regard to the underlying asset? Yes, there are certain safeguards, but these are essentially limited to fossil fuels. You can securitize assets that finance the mining of fossil fuels, the storage of fossil fuels, the processing of fossil fuels, etc. In line with the taxonomy regulation, although this is a politically controversial topic, assets that finance electricity generation through fossil fuels is not excluded. But only if the underlying economic activity meets the strict requirements under the taxonomy regulation. The originator is required to include a description of how safeguards are complied with via a fact sheet and upon request from a competent authority to demonstrate how this requirement can be fulfilled. Now you can imagine that this can raise questions. What about real estate loans where the building has a gas storage tank? Or what about car loans that do not relate to electric vehicles? Here it's been clarified that the safeguard principle must take into account the predominant purpose of securitized assets and does not intend to capture marginal or incidental fossil fuel links. So the examples we gave should in principle be permitted. Okay, so even though we have these safeguards and exclusions, it should still be possible to seek a green bond designation in securitizations backed by residential commercial mortgages involving buildings that are heated using fossil fuels or securitizations of auto loans or leases relating to petrol cars. Okay, so once you're comfortable that securitized assets meet such safeguards, is there anything else that needs to be considered with regard to disclosure on the securitized assets? Yes, there will also need to be initial and ongoing disclosure on the green characteristics of the underlying assets. Initially, the originator will need to disclose in the prospectus detailed information about the securitized assets and whether any of such assets are environmentally sustainable in the sense of the taxonomy regulation, including on the share of securitized assets that fail to meet the no significant harm objectives. Obviously, one can imagine that certain information is not available, and that's why the regulation prescribes this as a best efforts obligation, only using available data. But it's still a sensitive point, as any information included in a prospectus also means that it's covered by the prospectus liability regime. But it doesn't stop there as this information will also need to be covered in the green bond fact sheet and in the periodic allocation reports. So even though it is the originator use of proceeds rather than the securitization of green assets that achieves the new green bond label, through these safeguards and disclosures, this principle is somewhat nuanced and originators will have to consider the securitized assets as well. Maria, going back to the earlier point that you've mentioned about the interplay between the EU green bond regulation and the EU securitization regulation, 
What does this mean in practical terms? Yes, it is indeed very important to appreciate that securization can only be designated as a EU Green Bond standard if it has EU prospectus regulation compliant prospectus. And this will make an EU-originated securization public under the EU SECRAG, which means that such securization will also be subject to rather burdensome and highly prescriptive transparency requirements, including template-based loan-by-loan and investor reporting, and additional STS-related reporting, including on environmental performance of the assets, if the transaction seeks optional designation as simple, transparent, and standardized or STS securization under the EU SECRAG. So for public securizations under the EU SECRAG, it is also a requirement that all this information must be made available via an EU-authorized securization repository. So I should also flag that the EU Green Bond Standard requires that relevant issuer publishes all Green Bond Standards information on its website. But in the case of a securization, it means the website of the SPV issuer, and of course, SPVs don't have own websites, or the website of the originator. And then in the recitals, uh, the regulation says that originators are invited to make this information available also via an EU securization repository, although the repository regime was not really designed with the EU Green Bond Standard in mind, which is another wrinkle here. So what it means in practice as a bottom line is that if an EU-originated securization decides to seek EU Green Bond Standard designation, on the one hand, as a result of the interplay between these two regimes, the new regulation and the EU SECRAG, we have more complexities, more reporting, some of it overlapping with potential duplication, more costs and additional liability to consider. While on the other hand, such EU Green Bond Standard designation, at least at this stage, does not really bring with it any regulatory benefit or other incentives. Maria, you're talking about EU-originated securitization so far, but what about third country or non-EU securitizations? Would they be interested in seeking the EU Green Bond Standards designation? Uh, well, again, we need to think about this interplay between the EU Green Bond Standard and the EU SACRAG. So non-EU securitizations will need to consider compliance with the EU SACRAC transparency and reporting if they target EU institutional investors. So third country non-EU securizations are commonly done as private transactions for the purposes of the EU SACRAC regime because they would not usually prepare EU prospectus regulation compliant offering circular and as such, these private deals are a bit less burdensome reporting under the EU SACRAC. Therefore, if a third country securization considers EU Green Bond Standard designation, it will need to prepare EU Prospectus Regulation Compliant Offering Circular and be subject to more burdensome reporting as a public securization under the EU SACRAG. But at the end of it all, such that country securization will get nothing in return in terms of better regulatory treatment, which as you can see, does not really create great incentives or drivers, not at this stage anyway. Perhaps it's also worth briefly mentioning the special case of the UK. There are some UK securizations that produce EU prospectus regulation compliant prospectuses, and which, in addition to compliance with UK own SECREG regime, also comply with the public securization transparency requirements of the EU SECREG regime. However, such UK securizations will also need to assess the cost-benefit analysis when considering whether it is worth to go also for the EU Green Bond Standard designation. Now, Maria, 
So far, we've been discussing the EU Green Bond Standard designation from the originator perspective. Now let's turn to investors. Perhaps you have some views on the interplay between the EU Green Bond Standard and investor due diligence obligations under the SECREC regime in the EU and the UK? Yes, it is potentially another interesting point. So under both EU and UK SECREC regimes, relevant institutional investors must carry out broadly very similar due diligence assessment prior to investing in the securization and on an ongoing basis. Investors will need to verify compliance of a securization with certain specific requirements like retention, prescriptive transparency requirements, etc. And in general, such investors will also need to assess and monitor the deal characteristics, the deal performance and the risks involved. Therefore, investing in a securization designated as a Green Bond standard would arguably trigger additional investor due diligence relating to that label, which will make institutional investor due diligence subject to EU and UK SAGREG regimes um, for such discretion product even more complex and burdensome. This brings us to the end of this podcast. However, sustainability-related reforms when it comes to securitizations do not stop with the EU Green Bond Standard. There are other developments to consider, in particular those relating to the EU SECREC reforms on loan-level reporting templates and the introduction under the EU STS framework of a new voluntary reporting template for disclosure of principal adverse impacts on sustainability factors for STS securitizations that are backed by residential mortgages and auto loans or leases. However, we're out of time, so we encourage interested clients to get in touch with their usual A&O contacts if they want to discuss these or other matters in more detail.